moment. Well, if you have been following us in Luke, uh, on the journey through Luke's gospel, you would know that Jesus' disciples have just received some pretty tough teaching from Jesus. Not only has Jesus challenged them to watch out for false teaching and for false teachers, but also warn them to be careful um, about what they teach, about what they teach, but also their motives for teaching. So that they don't cause other believers to be able to stumble, to fall off the path that Christ had laid before them. This, as I'm sure you would agree, is a challenge not just to those disciples, to every person who ever opens God's word to be able to teach someone else, whether one-on-one, group setting, or even standing here on a Sunday morning. But as we explored last week, he also challenged them to not only rebuke fellow believers, but also to be willing and ready to forgive repentant believers. These challenges by Jesus, I think you would agree, are not easy, which is reflected in the question the disciples asked Jesus in our passage today. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. Luke 17, verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Heavenly Father, your word is precious to us. Your word is truth and life to us. Lord, as we unpack what you have to speak to us this morning from this passage, I pray, Lord, not only that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, but Lord, you make me transparent so that your people only ever hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord, increase our faith, they ask. Lord, increase our faith. I wonder how many times we have asked a similar thing to that. And we found ourselves maybe in a tough situation when facing a task that seems way too big for us to overcome, or simply when we desire to have a deeper or more intimate relationship with the Lord. But before we explore such questions as, can a believer's faith be increased, and if so, how, and explore Jesus' response to them, let us remind ourselves, and I think it'd be healthy to remind ourselves, what believers' faith is, which is the very thing that the disciples are asking 
Jesus to increase. Faith is at the very core of the Christian walk and belief in Jesus. The very core, if you will, of salvation itself. It is in fact the, the means by which God uses to bring salvation to people by his grace and it is a gift that he gives us. Isn't that wonderful? The faith and the ability to have faith is a gift that he grants to us. Paul alludes to this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Faith is one of the foundational principles upon which we walk as Christians. Is it not? By faith in Christ and by which we call people to follow Christ. By sola fide, by faith alone. Faith is not the placing of our total trust in things in our everyday life like the money in our bank or in our faith in the manager who looks after the bank who has our, manager, our money the NHS though it's a wonderful thing the government maybe even our sports club and the managers who look after our sports club it's not even placing our faith in the manager of Oxford United getting them to not be at first place in the league. Yeah. Apex. Yeah. <laughs> See, all these things come and go. They all come and go. They're fleeting, if I can use that word. And they do not have a solid, lasting foundation. A believer's faith looks to the unseen. That which is beyond the material of our everyday life. To God who never fails nor will ever fail. The writer of Hebrews says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. If I had to uh, define a believer's faith, I would say something like this. Faith is the placing of our confident trust in God and in that which God has already done and our hope and trust in that which God has already promised for life today and for the future. All because of the redemptive work of Christ upon the cross. Let me say that again. If I had to define faith, faith is the placing of our confident trust in God and in that which God has already done. And our hope and trust in that which God has already promised for our living, for the believers living today, and also for the future, his promises of eternal life. But it's all because of the redemptive work of Christ upon that cross. Our faith 
in Jesus is based upon God's promises being trustworthy. Are they not? God's promises being trustworthy. So is he trustworthy? There's a big question. Is he trustworthy? Ah, yeah, 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 amen. Amen. You see, God prophesied many times, many times through his prophets and many other people throughout scripture that Christ would come, that Christ would die, and that Christ would raise to life and bring hope and salvation to humanity. Many, many, many times that was prophesied through many different people. And what happened? It happened, didn't it? Amen indeed. All these promises happened and they were fulfilled through the person of Jesus, the Christ. God made a promise and it came to pass. God doesn't make promises that he's not going to fulfil. He doesn't do it. Both all the good stuff and all the bad. So when God promises that all who repent and place their trust by faith in Jesus because of his act upon the cross will not only be saved from God's final judgment but will also be granted eternal life in the future, we can be confident that God's promises are trustworthy and that they will come to pass. Can't we? Amen. Now, we didn't see Jesus' birth, did we? We weren't there. We're pretty cool to have been there. But we weren't there. And we were not at Golgotha. We were not by the cross when Jesus was crucified, were we? And God's future promises haven't come to pass yet, have they? All these things are unseen to us. They are unseen. But because of the confidence we have in God's promises being true and trustworthy, we can, as Paul says, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith. Faith of the promises not by sight. This is why when we see all the problems in the world, all the challenges in our country, and all the obstacles in our culture around us, we can walk with a confident hope because we don't place our faith in the world, <coughs> but instead place our faith in Almighty God, the Creator, Author, and Sustainer of all things seen, and unseen. <coughs> this realm and the spiritual realm. Oh, there is such a place. The heavens and the earth. So the first question we must ask of our passage today is, did the disciples have a believer's faith in Jesus? Yes. I'm pretty confident that they did. Remember by this time they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. 
How do we know that? Well, if you remember back probably two years ago, because it's taken us this long, right? When we were in Luke 9, Jesus asked them this very question, didn't he? What did he say? Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he, Jesus said to them, but who do you say I am? Who do you? You've walked with me. You've watched me minister. You've heard me teach. You've been there around the campfire at night when no one else has been around. Who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. Now at this point they still, it seems, hadn't realised that he was in <coughs> fact God incarnate. But they knew that he was more than a prophet. They had confidence based on all they had observed whilst being with him that he had, Jesus had the means in some way to help them increase their faith. So if they already had a believer's faith in Jesus, for what reason were they asking for their faith to be increased? Could it be that their reason for asking was because maybe in that moment they felt inferior? Maybe they felt unable to fulfil the task Jesus had challenged them with? Questioning maybe their own confidence to be able to do so? Was it that they were questioning whether the faith they had was strong enough to be able to faithful, be faithful in living out these tasks that Jesus had challenged them with. Remember, Jesus had challenged them to call out false teachers, to call out false teaching, to faithfully teach themselves and preach his truth, to challenge and rebuke fellow believers, and to be ready to forgive repentant believers. We find these things hard. Don't we? Yeah. We find them hard. Yeah. So I think we can appreciate their request, Lord, increase our faith. Yeah. I love these moments where it gives us a, just a little glimmer into the humanity of the disciples. We see it often in Jesus throughout the Gospels. But we do get these glimmers of the, the, the reality of, of, the, of the disciples' humanity, their battles, their struggles. And we can relate because we are also disciples of Christ. So this leads us on to ask, can a believer's faith be increased? Or in this moment, can the disciples' faith be increased as per their request to Jesus? Yes. Yes, of course our faith can be strengthened. 
Of course it can. It needs to be able to in order for us to get through the situations we face in life. Or any task that God himself presents us with and calls us to undertake. But here's the thing. Through the disciples asking for Jesus to increase their faith, they were, by default, already exercising the first of three primary, not all, but three primary building blocks to, to, to strengthening our faith. Prayer. Prayer. Simply put their, their request, Lord, increase our faith. You could argue is a prayer. Prayer is so important in the believer's life and in strengthening our faith. Prayer is, is a wonderful two-way relational act of us communing with the living God. I know that sounds crazy when you even think about that, doesn't it? But it's true. It's true. We can commune with the living God in prayer. It is our humble coming before Almighty God to give him thanks and praise and to present our needs, the, the, the battles of our lives and our fears that we may battle with to him that show our dependency on him, not on the world. Our dependency on him. Prayer and faith are inseparable. Prayer and faith are inseparable. Jesus showed us this when he said in Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, this verse has got a lot of people into a lot of trouble. A lot of people in a lot of trouble. There are people who have been told, God isn't answering your prayer because you don't have enough faith. I just want to clarify. When Jesus says, whatever you ask in faith, you will receive, it doesn't mean that if you ask for a million pounds or a truckload of chocolate or a hundred dogs that he's going he's gonna to grant, okay, he's going to grant you that request. Right? That's not what it means. The biblical instruction concerning prayer is that we pray for the good things that we truly need according to the will of God in the authority of Christ Jesus, and we do so persistently. This is why God doesn't always grant our prayers. Sometimes they are just outside of his will for us, and for his will on the, the advancement of his kingdom or the reestablishment of his kingdom upon the earth and the gospel mission on the earth. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God doesn't answer all our prayers. Even if we do believe that we're asking them according to his will. 
It's not for us to know all things. That's God's remit. We are creatures created by him. He is all-knowing, as it should be. We are not. But that's where faith comes in. We have confident trust that even if our prayers aren't being asked, he still loves us, he's there, still cares for us, and he has our best interest at heart. I don't know why. Could it be that sometimes our requests may not be good for us in the greater scheme of our life, even though we think they are? Maybe because the thing we're asking God to do for us or to do in us is maybe the very means by which he will use for someone to be brought to faith. But we just can't see that. Now yes, in this moment I believe that Jesus, sorry, the disciples' faith would probably have been increased because they were asking for more faith to accomplish these tasks that Jesus had challenged them with. These tasks that Jesus had laid before them which do align with God's will. So how do we know the will of God? Because the reality is we're not walking physically with Jesus like the disciples were. Well, this brings us to the second building block of faith, the absorbing of God's word and his truth. The absorbing of God's word and his truth. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay? The reality is the Bible isn't just like any other book in the library. The Bible is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It is the primary source He chose, not us. He chose for us to know His character and His heart and our guide for right godly thinking and living, for, for justice and for truth. Is that not what the writer of Hebrews says? The word of God is living and active. Living and active. It's not just words on a page. John's got one of the biggest live personal libraries I think I've ever seen. Right? And most of those most of those books are words on a page. There's a big difference to the Bibles that are on a shelf because these are, this is living and active. Got some pretty epic books, though. Can't lie. <laughs> and he's read them all. Um, if we want to increase our faith, if we want to increase our faith, then we need to, with the Holy Spirit's help, dedicate ourselves to a life absorbed in God's Word. Absorbed in God's Word. Whether through our own personal reading of it, or through our hearing it being preached and taught. But we are to live a life absorbed in his word. <coughs> Paul says in his first letter to Timothy, he says, all scripture, 
is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This then goes hand in hand with the last building block for faith that's or to, to, to increase, to strengthen our faith that I want to briefly mention this morning. Increased faith comes through obeying God's word. We don't like that word obey, do we? Obeying God's word. James 2.14 tells us, what does it profit, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Another verse that's got some people in trouble. This is not saying that we earn our salvation. It's not what he's saying here. Eternal life is a gift, not something that we can earn. But God does expect to see works in our lives. So what do we mean by works? The works here is the active obeying and living by every word of God to the best of our ability by the guidance of the Holy Spirit that God gifted us. I'm sure if I went around the room today and asked people here to tell us whether in a moment when you were faithful to God's command yourself and you watched God work through that situation whether your faith in Jesus was increased and strengthened because of it. I'm sure the answer would be yes. How can it not? How can it not that when we see God work through us in a situation that has brought life to someone, that has brought someone to salvation, where you've seen someone healed or a prayer answered, how can that not increase your faith? Now, in true Jesus style, and you've got to love his style, he brings a little twist to the conversation, doesn't he? He doesn't just answer their question. I'm sure the disciples probably got frustrated with him at some point. You know, just answer the question. Don't always just go into a parable. Just, just give me a straight answer. I'm sure we'd probably say that, right? But he doesn't just answer their question. Instead, he uses a picture of objects that they would be familiar with in their everyday life to share with them a profound truth about faith. Jesus says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And the mustard seed was the smallest seed known at that time. And the mulberry tree had deep, extensive roots, which, by all accounts, were very hard, if not impossible, to try and rip out. Now we read this and say to ourselves, 
I'm sure just the disciples there, well, that's impossible. That's impossible. No, we're, we're human. Of course we read things like that. That's impossible. To us, maybe, but not for God. Not for God. What does Jesus say? What is impossible for man is possible with God. Now the context of that saying is salvation. But the principle <coughs> woven through that saying still stands. Anything is possible with an all-powerful, all-eternal God. Anything is possible. Now Jesus didn't give them this example because he literally expects them to, to, to call trees to be uprooted and you know some sort of way of zapping them to the sea and then replanting them under the sea. That's not his purpose of saying this to them. The point Jesus was making here, the lesson that he wants his disciples to grasp and us today is that it isn't about the size of your faith. It's about the presence of it. It's not about the size of faith. It's the presence of it in our life. The reality is God can do mighty things through a believer who has even the smallest of faith. If, if that faith is genuine, genuine and directed in the right direction and planted in the right place, i.e. in Jesus the Christ, in who he is and in his promises. It is this reality, this revelation that will result in them, the disciples, being able to fulfil any task that Jesus lays before them. If they get hold of that truth, they pray, Lord, increase our faith. And yes, of course their faith can be increased. But Jesus is saying, it's not about the size. It's not about the size. It's about whether it's present. Is it genuine? However small it is, is it genuine? And is it planted in the right place, focused entirely on me? In me and who I am and in what I have promised? Can I invite the band up, please? <laughs> to be a disciple of Jesus... I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but to be a disciple of Jesus must have been remarkable. Must have been remarkable. Following this teacher, this rabbi who spoke differently to others, who taught <coughs> differently to others, who healed the sick and caused the blind to see, who challenged the religious elite of the day. It must have been like nothing else they'd seen or experienced in their life. Day by day they walked with him and I'm sure as they did they went through a myriad of emotions. <coughs> Joy, confusion, 
doubt, curiosity. As Jesus gradually taught them and discipled them, not only in the ways they should walk, morally and spiritually, but also into a deeper revelation and realisation of who he is. All the while, their faith strengthened. It was there at the beginning, but as they walked with him, their faith strengthened. This is not too dissimilar, is it not, to the journey that many of us had when God revealed himself to us, whether we were a child or where even in our adult life. We were taken on a journey of understanding who Jesus is by the faithful believers that he placed around us and what Jesus did for our humanity upon the cross. And we ourselves were challenged to make the choice to follow him or not. That is a journey of faith, is it not? And I'm sure that today in this room there are those who may not be on this journey yet, but are still questioning, are still pondering, still wondering. I come along here and I hear about this Jesus. I see these people with their hands up and praying. And is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he really who he claimed to be? Did Jesus really die on a cross and then raise to new life three days later? More to the point, more to the point, did he really do it for me? Is he really offering me hope, forgiveness, a new heart, and newness of life? You might be sitting there thinking, I'm not a good person. Welcome to the club. I'm not a good person. I've done things that I'm not proud of. Welcome to the club. I've done sinful things. Welcome to the club. Will you really forgive my sin? Will you really grant me eternal life and call me a son and daughter of the living God? What's our answer, church? Yes. Yes! A thousand times yes. I've never been so sure of anything in my life. The gift of faith to believe and trust Jesus is given to you also. Given to you. Amen. Amen. So accept it. Step into it. Step into that truth. In faith, believe and place your trust in Jesus. Believe that he died for you to give you hope and freedom and eternal life with him. Ask him into your heart. Commit to following him and be saved. It is the greatest free gift you ever, ever received. You might be sitting there thinking, but I'm not quite ready. Okay. Then how about this? Commit to going home and just do a bit of research on this, this Jesus fellow. Do a bit of research. Read up on him. Read up on his claims. Maybe go one stage 
further, take a risk and open the Bible. Maybe turn to Mark's Gospel and just start reading through Mark's Gospel with your heart open. But I don't have a Bible and I don't know where Mark's Gospel is. Well, that's easily sorted. Come and see me after the service. I'll give you a Bible. I'll give you ten Bibles if you'd read them all. And I'll show you where Mark is. But please do not miss out on this greatest gift that you have ever been presented with today. To every believer I say, I don't know what mulberry trees you have going on in your life this morning, what mountains you may be facing and obstacles that are presented to you. But I know who walks with you. I know who walks with you. Almighty God, the author, sustainer and protector of all things, including the faith that you have in him. Yes, our faith in God can strengthen. Yes, it can strengthen through prayer, through time in his word and obedience to his call. It can also weaken if we stop praying, if we stop reading his word, right? We stop obeying him. It can weaken. But our ability to have a believer's faith is a gift from God and the foundation of our faith is the trust in what God has already done through our Lord Jesus Christ and what he promises to do today in our life. Like he will never leave us. He will always be there. That is a promise. And his promises for the future. And they're all because of Christ. But remember... It is never about the size of your faith. It's never about the size of it. But it's about the genuine presence of it in your heart and in your head. In your thoughts and in your actions. That's what's important. Heavenly Father. Lord, first and foremost, I thank you that you have given us this incredible gift of ability to have faith in you. Faith in your promises that have already come to pass. Faith, Lord, in who you are. Faith in what you promise for us in this life right now. And have faith in the promises and the hope and the trust that we can place in your promises for the future. Lord, I don't know where your people are in this church today. I know some. I know what they battle with. I know their struggles. Remind them, Lord, that you are there with them. That you have already granted them faith and revealed yourself to them. I pray, Lord, that you encourage them and help us to encourage them to spend more time in prayer to you, to spend more time, Lord, reading absorbing your word and then putting them into practice because if we do, Lord, that, that, that in itself strengthens the faith that you've already granted to us. 
And Lord, I pray if there is any, any people here this morning who don't know you yet, I pray for them. Lord. I pray for their hearts. I pray you open their minds, you open their hearts, that you reveal yourself to them. Encourage them, Lord, supernaturally to go on a journey of understanding and delving into who you are. And we pray ultimately that you draw them to a saving faith. In Jesus' name. Amen.